this morning, and we're continuing on this series, Anxious, or Anxious for Nothing. And, you know, I, I hope that the series has been good for you, you know, that, because we've learned quite a few interesting, I think, and even challenging things over the last couple of weeks, and, you know, talking about how, how God, our relationship with God, how, how God can be our, and should be our source of peace, and that we don't have to live a life in kind of that anxiety cycle, but as we're, as we're pursuing God, we, we have an opportunity to live life in a cycle of, of peace. And, and the idea about, uh, you know, using the anxiety that we feel, because, I mean, we have to admit, again, that the world gives us plenty of things to be anxious about. Right. And, you know, the idea that we can kind of repurpose that that anxiousness that we feel sometimes in the different circumstances and situations that we are experience to remind ourselves that we need God. Right. The Bible says that that he is strong in our weakness. And so utilizing that anxiety to just remember how much we need God and and how powerful he is. And then the idea last week about kind of training ourselves, right? Training ourselves to not allow our mind to run wild with, with anxious thoughts, but, but training ourselves to think of those things that are, that are honorable, right, pure, kind of keeping our focus on God. You know, so the last couple of weeks, it's, when you think about it, we're really talking about, about, about pursuing God, growing in our relationship with God. And this week, we're going to be looking at when people make us anxious, right? When, when people make us anxious, and I want to remind you of, of kind of the, the working definition of, of being anxious, a feeling of worry, a nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, how many relationships are you in that you experience some form of anxiousness, right? The, the, the relationship where, uh, where you're, you're you're a little worried about what's going to happen, a, a conversation that's coming up, and it's got you a little tense. Now, now the, the relational anxiety that we're talking about, right, it's not the kind of anxiety or tension you might feel when you're walking down the aisle at Walmart, right? And, and you're, you're halfway down that aisle, and you look up, and you realize that the individual that's already in that aisle has been staring at you the whole time, right? And as you kind of feel uncomfortable and, and want to pass by them, you, you kind of want to use your cart as a little, as a little guard to, to gain some distance, right? And then you hurry up and kind of go to the next aisle, figure you can kind of swing back around and get what you're looking for. And you find out that, uh, you know, that, that individual, all of a sudden, he wants something down the aisle that you kind of went down to get away from him. You see, the, the anxiousness, the relational anxiousness that we're talking about today isn't, isn't the kind of situations with necessarily with people that you don't know. But it's about the, the tension, the anxiety that we experience 
in relationships with people that are close to us, right? The the people that are are, our family members, our our friends, our our co-workers, maybe our, our neighbors. And, you know, most of all, maybe the our brothers and and sisters in Christ who we go to church with, right? Our our kind of our extended family of believers. You see, these relationships often have moments of tension, worry, and fear. You know, maybe there was a, a disagreement. You know, maybe there was... Uh, some offense that was 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 taken from something that was said and 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 now you're you're at this place where personally you would almost like to just avoid the person right you're, it's it's kind of one of those situations to where we come up with these phrases right in, in these kind of these kind of times where it's like the elephant in the room right where where somebody's been hurt Right? Somebody's been hurt, somebody's been offended, and, and it hasn't been resolved. They're, they're not discussing it, it's, it hasn't been brought up, but, but everybody can tell that something's going on, right? Everybody can tell that an individual is upset or that, that people are, are, are having a rough time. Everybody can tell, but nobody is saying anything, right? That, that big elephant in the family room. That big elephant in the small group meeting. That big elephant in the room on Sunday morning. You know, we come up with with other phrases as well to kind of talk about these these kind of situations in our relationships, right? Walking on eggshells, right? Where, look, you know somebody's hurt, Right? Somebody's been offended. Something's gone on and it's, it hasn't been addressed. The, the, the wounds are deep and the wounds are fresh. And the person is so sensitive now that, that, that everybody's trying to watch what they're saying. Right? Every, everybody's walking on eggshells because they're worried about, about upsetting somebody. About setting somebody off because they've got these Issues that, that haven't been dealt with. You know, sometimes it's, it's us, right, to where we, we get offended and, and we don't feel like it's worth addressing or, or whatever the reason might be. We get offended and we get hurt and we just kind of swallow it, right? We absorb it. We just, we just take it in. But, but the problem is we hold on to it. And each time... Each time we get, as it grows, as it kind of festers, we we get a little more bitter. We get a little more frustrated. We get a little more sensitive. It's like we're walking around like a a walking time bomb ready to explode. And everybody can see it written on our face. But nobody's talking about anything. Nobody's saying anything. You see, the the interesting thing is is that we were created to be in relationships, right? We were created to be in a relationship with God, and we were created to be in relationships with one another, but not these kind of relationships, right? Relationships are supposed to bring joy and companionship to, to our lives, 
It's, it's supposed to be enjoyable, full of support. But when our relationships are filled with this kind of tension, when we're filled with anxiousness, when we're in the same room with somebody, this isn't the kind of relationship that God wants us to have. And this is why Paul actually brings this up to the Philippian church. Right in, in his letter to the Philippian church, he, he actually uh, is, is talking about the church resolving conflicts with one another. And it's so important that, that Paul actually brings this up at the beginning of this anxiety chapter that we've been, that we've been going over the last couple of weeks. And, and this is what he says in verse 2. He says, now I appeal to Yoda. I didn't say Yoda. Ioda, I knew I was going to get it, and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. You see, at the beginning of this chapter on anxiety, he, he's calling out these, these two women to resolve their conflict with one another. Now, now I don't think that, that he was calling out these two women because women are the, the ones that have relational problems, right? I mean, we all know that men, we have relational problems as well. I mean, we're exactly the same. We all sometimes get offended. We all say things that offend others. And even sometimes we maybe take too easily at offense at one another. But I believe the reason that Paul points out these two women is because these two women were important leaders in the church, Matter of fact, it, it says, for they worked hard with me telling others the good news. You see, I believe that these two women were actually probably part of the, the group that helped Paul plant this church in Philippi. And now, at one time, they were hand in hand, working together, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with, with the people around them working together, and now, because of this tension within the relationship, it doesn't tell us what happened. It, it doesn't tell us what was wrong. But obviously, there was a problem if it came to Paul's attention. And now, they're at odds with one another. And I imagine that not only was it affecting their relationship with one another, but it was also affecting the relationships of the people around them and the people in the church. And so I believe Paul mentions them because he wants them to set the example for the church of how we resolve relational conflict with one another. And so Paul appeals to them. He says, because you belong to the Lord, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. You know, we get appeals all the time to act certain ways. Right? I mean, every, every day or every time uh, my kids' classes start, 
They bring home these disclosures, these class disclosures, right? It tells them about what the class is all about, how, how the, what the class rules are, how they're expected to, to act, what they're expected to do. And we're supposed to sign these disclosures and, and send them back with them, right? And, and nowadays, they get credit for it as an assignment even, like it's something they have to do. You know, but we get kind of those, those, uh, those appeals all the time, and, and, and most of the time we don't even have to sign them, right? You, you, you go to college or you participate in a, in a sports club or, or something like that, and there's requirements, right, to you participating. It's because you get to do this, your participation means that you've agreed to follow their kind of their, their rules, or their kind of their, their behavior requirements. Now, the differences between those is they're saying that in order to be a part of this, you must act like this. Right? What Paul is saying here, he's saying because you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, because God is transforming you from the inside out, because you are, are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because you belong to the Lord, you should reconcile your differences. You see, Paul is saying because we are pursuing God and fellow believers, we should be Handling our relational disagreements differently than what the rest of the world does. You know, I believe that Paul was, was actually actively preparing these two for this, this appeal he's making to them back in chapter 2. This is what he said. He said, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Now, these questions that, that Paul is is asking are rhetorical questions, right? He, he already knows that, that they know the answers, right? I mean, he's saying, uh, you know, uh, is, is there any encouragement or, or comfort in your relationship with God? Well, of course there is, right? Second Corinthians says, God is called the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, right? He, he, he saw us in our distress and he rescued us. You know, he asked the question, any fellowship in his spirit? Well, of, of course there is. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that we are all baptized into one body by one spirit when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? You see, Paul knows that they know all the answers to these questions. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes, because the Holy Spirit is transforming them from the inside out. They're being made new. See, Paul was, was saying, if, if this is true, 
right? If, if all these things are true, love one another. Work together with one mind and one purpose. You see, we can't do this in anxious relationships. We can't do this in anxious relationships. And so I want to share with you four ways that we can work through these kind of relationships with one another. And the first is this. Commit to being a peacemaker. Commit to being a peacemaker. Romans 12, 18 says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I mean, now, this sounds impossible. Do all that you can to live in peace with, with everyone. You know, this is coming from the chapter in Romans where, where Paul is talking about us living our lives as a, as a living sacrifice to God. It's coming from the chapter where Paul is, is sharing with us how we worship God in the way that we live our lives. He talks about not being conformed by the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, allowing God to change our mind. He, he talks about not thinking highly of ourselves, but serving others with the gifts that he has given us. He talks about not pretending to love one another. Don't just say that you love one another. Don't just have it be a, a greeting when you, when you leave or when you meet. Truly love each other and honor one another. And towards the end of this passage where he's telling us how to be a living sacrifice to God and, and telling us how we worship God with our lives, he says, do all you can to live at peace with everyone. See, living at peace with people is a way that we worship God. Choosing to humbly serve, love, and honor them even when they've offended us, even when they've hurt us. You see, a peacemaker is someone who is willing to initiate reconciliation even when they're the ones that have been hurt. Like, you know, a lot of times we, I think sometimes we kind of back up when we've been offended and hurt and we, we think to ourselves that I've got, I'm going to have nothing to do with them until they come and apologize. They've offended me. You see, a peacemaker is not satisfied with a destroyed or a ruptured relationship. Even being offended, a peacemaker is willing to go out and seek reconciliation. You know, and I think that's important because how many times, how often have we offended somebody and we don't even realize it? And think of how that relationship is, is destroyed, is ruined, is separated simply because nobody's willing to take the first step because we've been offended 
They've got to come to us. See, a peacemaker is also someone who, who repents when they realize that they've offended or hurt somebody. You know, I think a lot of times we, we kind of, yeah, we feel a little bit bad. Maybe we don't exactly understand how somebody got hurt or why they took offense to something. But a lot of times we like to, well, we'll just, we'll just give it time. Right? We'll, we'll just give them, I, I know I probably shouldn't have said that, but I'll just give them time. They'll cool off. You see, a peacemaker doesn't wait, doesn't wait. A peacemaker is willing to go to that person, repent, confess, and begin to reconcile that relationship. But you notice Paul said, do all that you can to be at peace with everyone. You see, reconciliation takes two people. All we can do is, is, is what we can do. We can't control the other person's reaction or what they'll do. But what that tells us is the other person's reaction or potential reaction doesn't determine what we do. Isn't that right? We're supposed to be peacemakers. The second thing that we can do is to put yourself in their shoes. Have you ever been a witness to a vehicle accident? I would think that most of us probably have. I was up on Washington out by Ogden Regional getting ready to you know, head north on Washington at that intersection. And I'm in the left-hand lane a couple of cars back. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to work. I don't remember why I was up there, but I'm sitting there and at the light, listening to music, thinking about work, what I've got going on. And, you know, something caught my attention, and it was the car that was in the, the straight lane, uh, about three cars in front of me, kind of revs up his engine, and I, you know, and I kind of pay attention, and he shoots across the intersection. And I'm thinking, uh, it's kind of weird, but all right. Well, then the, the next car, the, the car that was next to him that was headed, turning left in front of me, kind of starts hesitating a little bit and then all of a sudden shoots out into the intersection and gets T-boned, gets hit by somebody going up, headed, uh, headed south on, uh, on Washington Boulevard, right? The spins out in the intersection, the other car kind of careens over and, and ends up in the actually in the median aisle right by the stoplight. And because I was behind them, I'm one of the people that the officer wants kind of a witness statement, right? And so I, I give this witness statement that, yeah, one car went, this, this next car decided to go, and the other car hit him. You know, that sounds pretty plain and simple, but there was something I couldn't get out of my mind. Right? There, there was something I couldn't get out of my mind that just didn't seem quite right, but I couldn't figure it out. Well, you know, I, I feel bad because my statement probably contradicted everybody else's, uh, every other witness statement of that accident. Because it took me a couple of months later, as I kept thinking about it, I realized that the first car that went shot across on a red light. The next car that went... I, my guess is they thought the light was green because the car next to them went. So they tried to make the left-hand turn and got hit. 
You see, the, the reason I bring this up is, is because depending on where we're at, depending on what's going through our mind, we all have the tendency of seeing things a little bit different, right? A lot of times we kind of put ourselves in a place to where we just assume that somebody is intentionally hurting us. That somebody has intentionally tried to insult us or harm us. You see, what, what putting yourself in somebody else's shoes means is that maybe that there was something else going on. Maybe it wasn't as intentional as we thought. Maybe we should give the person that has offended us the benefit of the doubt. I mean, think about it. Not only is it, I mean, maybe somebody just had a rough day. Maybe that person was hurt by somebody else. Maybe that person, his life is, feels like his life is falling apart, and so he's, he's just a little bit distracted. Maybe, the, maybe it's just simply personalities. There's so many things that, that we see situations differently. See, it's easy for us to get stuck in our own perspective of events and to discount the perspective of others. Philippians 2.4 says, Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, maybe there's more going on than you think. See, I think it's important for us to try to understand the other person's point of view. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree with them. It doesn't mean that we're going to think that they're right. But we are loving them and honoring them by giving them the benefit of the doubt. The next one Talk to them, not about them. You see, when you've been offended or hurt, I, I think we all have the tendency of, in a way, of, of wanting to share that. Sadly, most of the time, or a lot of the times, and I, I think especially a lot of times in church, the person that we're sharing it with isn't the person that's hurt us or offended us, right? We, we, we hold on to it. We're, we're not addressing it. We're growing bitter, growing frustrated. Our dislike of this person begins to grow. And then we start sharing that dislike with other people, right? And, and maybe it starts in little ways, kind of little offhand things, little you know, little comments here and there. But we end up pulling people into our tension. Right? We end up pulling people into to our kind of struggling relationship, asking them to take sides and to take our side. Matthew 18, 15 says this, if another believer sins against you, 
go privately and point out that the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Right? Some people call this the Matthew 18 protocol. Basically, it's, it's telling us how we should be dealing with relational problems with people that have offended us. Right? That we, we resist the urge to kind of put up that billboard that tells us, tells everybody how, how terrible the person is. Right? We, we don't follow the example of our, of our politicians. Right? We, we, we stay silent and we go to that person in private. Right? You're, you're going to show them love. You're going to honor them even though they've hurt you. You don't make a big scene. You go privately and have a conversation. And here's the thing. When, when we do this, again, m- maybe they didn't even realize that they had hurt you. Right? I mean, one of the things that, I don't know about you, that, but when I'm offended and when I'm hurt and you know, I want that person to answer for it, to come to me, to, to admit that they've hurt me, to say sorry. But when that doesn't happen and, and I see them going about their life and they look like they're enjoying their life, like they're having a good time, like nothing's bothering them and I'm still dragging this around and can't let it go, that frustrates me even more. But what happens when we go to them? And we find out that they didn't even know. And because we, we go to them in love and, and we share with them that they've hurt us, they apologize. And the relationship can be restored. You know, maybe when we go to people in private and share with them how we've been hurt or offended, we realize that we weren't the only ones offended or hurt. What if we find out that they were hurt too? That they were offended by us? It opens up the opportunity for us to reconcile the relationship. Maybe you go to somebody and they know exactly what they've done. You share with them what, how you've been hurt, and there's not a hint of remorse or regret on their face. What do you do then? What do you do then? They don't humble themselves. They don't ask for forgiveness. They just shrug their shoulders, huh? They've just decided they don't care about you. And this is when we have to be ready to absorb the offense. Philippians 2.5 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He died a criminal's death. 
See, at the beginning of this passage, we talked about being saved, right? Being, being together with the Spirit, transformed. Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Those questions that Paul was asking, right? Those, those rhetorical questions, those given that was to remind them that they had been transformed by God, that their hearts were being changed, that they were being transformed into the image of Christ. See, in here we see the application of that transformation. We see the application of the Spirit's work in our heart, changing our hearts and our mind humbly bearing offense and putting others before ourselves. You see, the example that Jesus gave us, right? God, the creator of all things, humbles himself to be born as a man. And while as a man, he, he lives a sinless life, didn't sin against anybody, but yet he bore the, the scourge and the hatred of men so that we could have a relationship with God, allowed himself to be put on the cross for us. He took our offense on him so that we could have a relationship with God. And so here we're being asked to take the same attitude. The same attitude as, God, as, as Jesus Christ when reconciliation is impossible. We're supposed to absorb the offense. I don't like the way that sounds, I'll be honest with you. I think I'm just like the rest of you. I, I want when people offend me, I want them to pay for it in some way, at least by apologizing. But, but the Bible is telling us, God is telling us that when we seek reconciliation and it's not possible, we absorb the offense. We absorb the offenses. Our act of worship to God. But you see, it's important. We're not absorbing this offense and holding on to it. Right? Remember Paul talking about our lives as a living sacrifice our life as a living form of worship to God. And when we absorb these offenses, we're offering them up like burnt offerings to God. We're not holding on to them. We're giving them up to God. Ultimately, this is what God is telling us to do. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. 
pray that God will bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That is how we are supposed to respond to to these kind of relationships, this, the way that we settle our disagreements. Commit to being a peacemaker. Put yourself in their shoes. Talk to them, not about them. And be ready to absorb the offense. You see, we were created to love God and love others. Will you pray with me? Father, you are a holy and a righteous God. And Father, you created us to not only be in relationship with you, but be in relationship to the people around us. And and Lord, you know it's hard. But Father, I pray that you would give us the, the courage and the strength to love you and to love others. That you would give us the courage and the strength to reconcile our relationships and if needed, even absorb, absorb and offer up the offense to you. So Lord, we praise you, we exalt you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.